You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Good morning. Yeah, good reminder, isn't it? Uh, one of the most uh, life-changing things I think you can ever do as a Christian um, is to go on a mission trip, especially somewhere outside of the United States. Um, not only do you get to share Jesus with people who a lot of times, you know, are, are really hungry for the gospel message, maybe are not in a place where they can access a church uh, as readily as we are able to um, here. You get to see lives, you know, transformed by the power of Christ. You're able to really kind of get to see and experience a lot of things we would not be able to experience or see um, in our culture. I remember the first mission trip I took outside of the United States was to Monterey, Mexico, uh, when I was in my early 20s, and we went there to kind of help build a church. Now, the interesting thing in Mexico at that time, and it may still be the same way, was um, you just kind of started building with what funds you had. When those funds ran out, you just stopped. Wherever you were in the process of construction, it just stopped. When more money came in, then you would kind of pick up and you'd continue working until that money ran out and then you would just stop. And so we kind of got down there and this church is kind of like about halfway done. We had X amount of monies. We took supplies and we kind of just continued to work until we depleted both the money and the supplies. And then again, the construction kind of just came to a halt. Now up to this point, I had never really been outside the United States so this was really kind of a first for me in a lot of ways. I remember that feeling, you know, you kind of just cross the border, you know, you're going through the checkpoints and you're starting to drive into Mexico and you kind of see McAllen, Texas is where we crossed. You're kind of seeing that in the back of your view your mirror, you're looking over your shoulder and you're kind of seeing, you know, less and less of the United States. And I remember the further we drove into Mexico, the more and more it changed from what I was really accustomed to in the United States, even though we really weren't all that far from the United States border, even when we got to Monterey. The one thing that struck me when we finally arrived in Monterey, and we were kind of going around different parts of the city, but I remember aspects of that city where there was just abject poverty. I mean, poverty I had never seen in my life. We drove by places that really were no better than a cardboard house. There were, there were places where there was just filth and, and garbage and, and people, you know, children with very little clothing um, and, and dogs and cats. I remember just running everywhere. And, and I'm taking all of this in for the first time. And I've got to be honest with you, I really had a hard time holding back tears because my heart just ached from seeing people live in such deplorable conditions. It really changed my perspective. You know, we take a lot of things for granted in this country. We have so many blessings, and we're just almost surrounded um, by so many blessings. We don't realize how other people and other cultures live. And, and it really changed my perspective, and it made me realize really how blessed we are as a nation, and not to take that for granted. So I encourage you, if you ever have the chance, I know that there's um, Dave and Brenda Muth, I know they go places. Uh, Callie Welch has uh, a missions that, that she goes to. I know there are just are people that would love to hook up with you and, and, and encourage you to, to go uh, the next time they're 
going. So if you ever get a chance to do a mission trip outside of the United States, man, I would encourage you to do it because you will receive so much more um, than you will ever uh, give. Now, speaking of places outside of the United States, how many of you have ever been to Israel? I know we had a small crowd today, so probably chances of that aren't going to be, okay, a couple of you have. That's awesome. I, it, it's one of the places I would really love to go. I think it's a fascinating uh, place uh, to know that you're walking where Jesus walked, to be baptized, maybe where Jesus was baptized, to sit at the very top of the hill where Jesus gave one of the most powerful, one of the most famous uh, sermons ever heard. Uh, again, it's just something I think when you go to Israel, it just kind of has an impact on you. People who have visited Israel say one of the most interesting places in Israel is the Sea of Galilee. And there are tourist hotels there right by the water. And in the mornings, you can kind of take a boat ride uh, uh, from uh, the Sea of Tiberias to Capernaum. You can see the remains of a synagogue uh, where Jesus actually taught. Now, one of the interesting things about the Sea of Galilee is it is 628 feet below sea level. It's kind of surrounded by mountains that are filled with these deep ravines. And these ravines kind of serve like just huge funnels that bring cold air from those mountains, and they kind of collide with the uh, hot air above the water. And, and when that occurs, it kind of creates these potentials for very, very quick and severe storms. And some of those storms can just arise just out of nowhere. I mean, you can take off and not a cloud in the sky, and in, in just a matter of minutes, uh, things can change very, very quickly with very little warning. Now imagine being right in the middle of that sea and halfway across that lake and I mean with no warning whatsoever literally the sky goes black, the winds begin to howl, the rains begin to fall and the boat just begins to kind of, uh, of rock. This is not in Jesus' time. I mean this still can happen um, and does happen today there in Israel. Um, you can be surprised, even shocked uh, in Galilee, how quickly things change, how quickly you're, you can be taken by storm. Um, like last week's message, uh, the miracle that we looked at, I, I kind of talked about that really kind of being a metaphor of life. Today's parable I want to talk to is also kind of that metaphor of life. This is exactly the way life can be at times. And for many of us, we've been there a time or two. You come home from work, you're excited maybe about just a nice evening at home, dinner, kick back, relax in front of the TV, but you walk into a house that's half empty with the note saying, I want out of the marriage. You're taken by storm. You go to the doctor and maybe you're anticipating a normal checkup, but then you hear something or you, the doctor sees something and just kind of says, that's not normal, that's not good. And a week later, the lab work comes back and they say, you have cancer, you're taken by storm. You go to bed at peace with yourself, with God and the world, you're ready for a good night's sleep. And maybe in the middle of the night, you're kind of awoken by a phone call or maybe a knock at the door and, and you hear that some family member has died suddenly. Again, you're taken by storm. You go into the office maybe for another day's work, another week of work, 
a place that maybe you've kind of given your whole life to. You've worked hard to build this company up to what it is. Think you're going to retire from there, and you walk in only to find your boss sitting there in your office asking for your keys to clean out your desk. There's no more room for you in that organization. Again, you're taken by storm. What do you do when that happens? And again, it happens to all of us at times. If you haven't learned this yet, you may as well learn it now. None of us can avoid the storms of life. Many times, again, we don't even see those storms coming. Everything appears to be going pretty routine, pretty normal, and then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, we are taken by storms. So what do you do in those situations? We've been in a series called Naturally Supernatural, and we've been talking about some of the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry. We talked about both in quantity and in quality, Jesus performed more amazing miracles than everyone in history put together. No miracle he ever performed may be more helpful or more meaningful to many of us in this room than that miracle he performed over 2,000 years ago there on the Sea of Galilee. So let's look at Mark chapter 4. There's other Gospels that record this, but tonight or today we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. And there it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, or you could say even suddenly, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to perish? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then Jesus asked them, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they ask each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now the disciples learned something very important that day, and it's really also a good lesson for us to learn, and that is there is no need to fear when Jesus is near. Remember, we are characters. Really, you're to read every miracle. We are, we are characters in every miracle. We are characters in every parable Jesus taught. He's not just teaching those uh, then when these miracles happen. It's also for our instruction. It's also for our benefit. The boat is our life. The disciples are us. And there are three lessons you can take away from this particular miracle because you're going to need them someday when you are taken by storm. First, remember the promise of Jesus now, the way the story begins seems kind of rather simple, but it really holds one of the keys to what this miracle really teaches. Mark 4, verse 35 says, As evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Do you hear what Jesus said to them? You say, Sure. He said, Let's go to the other side of the lake. That was not just a statement, folks. That was a promise. That was a prophetic statement. When Jesus told the disciples to cross to the other side, there was no way they were not going to make it because Jesus never tells us to do something he doesn't give us the power or the ability to do. He never prophesies anything that doesn't come true and he never makes a promise he can't keep. 
So the moment Jesus said to them, let us cross to the other side of the lake, it was as good as done. And that boat just became unsinkable. Neither the Roman Empire or the U.S. Navy today with all of its power could have sunk that boat because Jesus said, we're going to the other side and the other side they were going. How do I know that? Because if the boat had not made it to the other side, Jesus would not have been telling the truth. I can tell you this, the sun will quit shining, the moon will stop glowing, stars will quit twinkling, the wind will stop blowing, the waves will stop crashing before Jesus ever fails to keep one promise. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 35. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There's no way they could drown because they were with Jesus and he couldn't drown. Now I know you're thinking he's a human being and human beings drown. That's true. But the reason I know Jesus couldn't drown at that point is because God was not finished with him yet. He had not been nailed to the cross. He had not shed his blood. He had not been buried in a tomb. He had not yet been raised from the dead. God had other plans for Jesus. Jesus had not yet accomplished the work of salvation. What God needed him to do, God protected him in order for Jesus to be able to fulfill the plans, the destinies, and the purposes of God. The same is true of Jesus. The same is true of us. There are plans, purposes, destinies God has for your life, and he is going to see to it that you are able, empowered, to be able to do all that he has for you to do. You may remember back to the Old Testament as Abraham's making his journey toward Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac. As they reach the place, it says in Genesis 22, 5, Abraham said to his young servants, these are people that accompanied him and Isaac on their journey. And he says, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad, we're going to go over there. We will worship and return to you. Now Abraham tells the servants, he says, two of us are going over there and two of us are coming back. Even though God had told Abraham, you're going to sacrifice your son as a burnt offering, Abraham believed God would make the situation right. Even if he went through with that, sacrificed his son, Abraham believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham was so confident in the promises of God that whatever happened to Isaac, he was going to return with him to where those servants were. So when Jesus told those disciples, cross over to the other side of the lake, it was as good as done, regardless of any suddenlies, circumstances, or situations. The moment Jesus made that promise to those disciples, they could have all gone to sleep as Jesus had done. They could have just kind of kicked back and taken it easy. They could have just fallen asleep on a boat cushion like Jesus, because they had the promise of Jesus. I read uh, once that when Tiger Woods was five, year old, five years old, he asked his father Earl to buy him a tricycle. And Earl Woods told his son he'd have to think about it. So every day Tiger would ask for that tricycle, and every day Earl would say, I'm still thinking about it. That went on for a couple of months until finally one day his father said to Tiger, he said, okay, I promise you I will get you that tricycle. Earl Wood said he was stunned by Tiger's reaction. 
He said he didn't jump up and down with joy. He did not ask him to immediately go get it. When are you going to get it? He didn't ask him when he could expect to have it. He said, I got absolutely no reaction whatsoever out of that boy. He just turned around, walked into the next room, and started doing something else. He was wondering why Tiger did react that way, and he said it kind of dawned on him. I had made my son a promise, and all Tiger had to hear was that I promised that I was going to get it, and he believed my promise. God has a perfect record of keeping his promises. He has not broken one promise in eternity past, and he won't break one in any uh, uh, now or in any eternity future. If you're in the middle of a storm, you need to find the promise of Jesus, hold and cling to that promise. He will get you through the storm. He will get you onto the other side. Second, rest in the presence of Jesus. Second thing you need to learn to do in any storm Trust his promises and then just rest in his presence. Every detail of this miracle, again, is important. We read in verse 36, so Jesus, so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Now, the gospel of Mark kind of adds a little detail that is not found in Matthew or Luke's version of this miracle. Mark says that there were other boats that followed. In other words, they were not the only boat on the sea that day. There were lots of boats on the water. Now, why does Mark include that detail? Well, there was one difference between every other boat and the disciples' boat. Do you know what it was? Jesus, yeah, was in their boat. One of the benefits of becoming a follower, a disciple, a lover of Jesus Christ is he gets into your boat. He gets into the ship of your life. But then something every one of those disciples least expected happened. Verse 37, but soon or suddenly a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Mark calls this windstorm uh, a windstorm, whereas Matthew kind of uses a totally different word than Mark did. Here's kind of how Matthew described it in chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 23. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by waves, but Jesus was asleep. Now, n- remember, neither Mark nor Luke were there when this happened. But Matthew was, and the word he used is the Greek word simos. Now, does that sound familiar? It's where we kind of get our word seismologist or seismology, okay? A seismologist kind of studies earthquake. A seismograph measures earthquakes. So Matthew's conveying here, this was not just a spring shower, This was not a cloudburst. It was not a hard downpour. He said there was basically an eruption of the sea below and the sky above. Now, if you've ever, like, uh, seen where there's been earthquakes in the ocean, what's one of the things that they'll kind of issue to other surrounding lands? A tsunami warning. Because it will begin to create, an earthquake will begin to create just astronomically high waves. So that is the word Matthew describes there. Now, there's only two other times in all of the Bible where that word is used again. 
Once is at the death of Jesus when the whole earth shook. And again at his resurrection when the whole graveyard trembled. In other words, this was definitely the kind of storm that could just break your boat into little toothpicks. At this point, most people fail to ask an important question. Why were they out there in the middle of this lake to begin with? What were they doing there? Jesus told them to go there. Jesus told them, get into that boat and cross to the other side. It wasn't their idea to take that trip. It was Jesus' idea. What am I saying? Folks, often storms come into our lives, and you know what? We start thinking, maybe we're out of the will of God. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I've disobeyed God. He's angry with me, and this is my punishment. Maybe God still remembers the cookie that we stole out of the cookie jar and we didn't tell our mother about it and he's waited 30, 40, 50 years to get even with some of you. That's kind of how we think on these things. Listen carefully. The disciples were not in the storm because of disobedience but because of obedience. They weren't in the storm because they had done something wrong. They were in the storm because Jesus told them to do it. They were not in the storm because they were out of the will of God. They were in the storm because they were in the will of God. Don't get the idea that if you live right and love God, you won't have storms. That is, that's just bad theology. Many times storms come into your life often when you are the closest to God. And it's not because you've done something wrong. It may be because you've done something right. I love the story about a man in Ohio who owned an oil well. The oil well had caught fire and he couldn't get it put out and so he puts out this all point bulletin for help to put the fire out. He offered up to a $100,000 reward to whoever could come and put that fire out. All the large firehouses from cities around sent help. They sent their best companies. A comp uh, they, they came bringing some of the most sophisticated uh, firefighting equipment available. But none of those trucks could get within 200 yards of that blaze because the heat was just too intense. The flames were too high. There was a volunteer fire department in a little town called Calcutta. And they'd heard about the problem. And they really, really needed that $100,000 for new equipment and new uniforms. And they just had one little old rickety truck uh, which was equipped with just a single ladder. It had, you know, two buckets of water, three buckets of sand, a few blankets. The truck was so old, it didn't even have a hose on it. When that old truck reached the point where all those other fire companies had stopped because of the heat being so great, this driver of this rickety old fire engine did not hesitate. He just kept barreling straight ahead until he and his crew were right in the thick of that fire. They jumped out of that truck. They uh, went to work immediately with what they had, and they beat out that fire um, basically with very little equipment. That oilman was so impressed by their unbelievable display of courage, he wrote them out this check for $100,000 right on the spot. And he said, what are you and your men going to do with all this money? The captain shaking his head like Elise said, the first thing we're going to do is get the stupid brakes on that truck fixed. <laughs> Sometimes we get thrown into the fire through no fault of our own. 
We get thrown into the fire again for sometimes just trying to do what is right. Now Mark adds another detail in this story that Matthew and Luke leave out. And, and it's something that I think is really interesting. Verse 38, Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up say, shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to perish? There's only one place on a fishing boat where you could really get away from bad weather or cold weather. And it was the only place that had enough space and protection to fall asleep, and that was the stern. It was the most enclosed, it was the most protected part of the boat. Furthermore, Jesus had taken a pillow with him, probably a seat cushion um, or something. Now, why does Mark add that particular detail for us? From the moment Jesus got on that boat, he went to sleep. It was kind of a premeditated sleep. He didn't just nod off. He didn't just fall asleep. I mean, he purposely went on that boat for the express purpose of going to sleep. Now, why was Jesus at peace while all the other disciples were going haywire? It is because he remembered something they had forgotten. He was right where the Father wanted him to be. Jesus was with those disciples right in the center of God's will. He was doing what God wanted him to do just as he was with those disciples. God was with Jesus. That's why I say there is no need to fear when Jesus is near. In every storm you go through, you will always have the presence of God. You may not always be aware of it, but he is there just the same. Now, this is going to sound strange to you, but the safest place in the world at the exact moment for those disciples was right there in that boat because they're in the will of God. Folks, safety is not the absence of problems. Safety is the presence of Jesus. Now we come to the best part, the climactic part of the story, which tells us one last comforting truth when we are in the storm, and it is this. Rely on the power of Jesus. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace or silence, be still. Suddenly, just as it started, suddenly this wind stopped and there was great calm. This is so cool to me. That word rebuke, it means get out and sit down. Okay? The word peace, be still, literally means to muzzle or to silence. Do you know when Jesus stood up in that boat, he literally said to that storm, sit down and shut up. That's what he said. He rebuked it, said, peace, be still. Some of you, you're in places of chaos where you just need to stand up to that chaos and say, sit down and shut up. Some of you are facing problems, and you just need to tell those problems, sit down and shut up. Rebuke them. Tell them to be silent. Tell them to be calm. You notice Jesus did not keep the storm from striking the boat, but he did keep the storm from sinking the boat. When Jesus told the disciples they were going to cross over, he didn't promise them smooth sailing. He just guaranteed a safe arrival. You notice what it says in chapter 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea just like Jesus said they would. Now let's learn the real lesson that's found in this miracle because Jesus asked the disciples a question and it's a question he asks you and me every time we go through a trial, a problem, a temptation, a situation, a storm. Verse 40, Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
When you go through a storm, Jesus may ask you, why are you still afraid? Do you have no faith? Two lessons here. There's a lesson about fear and a lesson about faith. Every time you face a storm in your life, you will face it in one of two ways. You'll either face it with fear or you will face it with faith. What is the difference? It's very simple. Fear looks at the storm. Faith looks at the Savior. That's the difference. The reason why Jesus was irritated was they had no reason to fear. Why? They already seen the power of Jesus. Do you know how many miracles he had already performed before this one that the disciples had witnessed with their very own eyes? In Mark 1, he cast out uh, 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 an unclean spirit. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He healed an entire city of disease, cast out demons, and cleansed a leper. That's just chapter 1. In chapter 2, he gives a paralytic the ability to walk, take his bed home. In Mark 3, he restores a withered hand to complete health. He'd already proven over and over, it doesn't matter what your problem is. Disease, demons, or danger, Jesus can handle it. What irritated Jesus was they had forgotten what he could do. Do you know what, this is, do you know what is amazing? Jesus had more faith in the disciples to steer the ship than they did in Jesus to still the storm. There's also a lesson about faith. As I said to you before, I'll say to you over and over again, every time you go through a storm, Jesus is asking you this question. Do you trust me? Do you believe that I am more than able? I'm going to say something that maybe shocks some of you, but we need storms. There are times where God is going to maybe deliberately take you into a place of storms. Do you know why God sometimes just allows us or even leads us into storms? It's to force us, again, to remember his promises, to rest in his presence, to rely on his power. Now, I don't know what maybe kinds of storms you're going through right now. Maybe you're coming out of a storm or what storm you may be getting ready to go into. But when you do, again, just remember the promise of Jesus Again, we've, we've, we've given out so many of these promise books. Um, I don't know if we've got any more out there on the book table or not, but man, sometimes when you're going through a storm, you just need to find a promise that correlates to what you're going through. In other words, if you're having a financial problem, find promises in the scripture that kind of talk about uh, Jesus and, and his promise to be your provider. Um, and then you kind of just begin to hold on to those promises. If you're dealing with a health issue, find some promises in the Bible that speak to healing, and you just begin to claim, and you just kind of begin to rely on those promises. You rely on the power of Jesus. You rely on his, you rest in his presence. And again, you're going to get through to the other side. When you're taken by storm, again, there is no need to fear when Jesus is near. Let me just close with that question the disciples posed to Jesus in verse 38. And as I was reading that, it, it just really kind of struck me. I wonder how Jesus felt when they said these words to him. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Do you realize in asking that question to Jesus, they were forgetting both the message and the meaning of Christmas? Christmas is all about God sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, because it mattered 
greatly to God that we were perishing in our sins. And God knew the only way to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us was for Jesus Christ to come to earth as a man and to die for our sins upon the cross. After the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, mankind, we were destined to perish. But because of God's great love for us, he sent Jesus to save us from our sins so we would not perish. So when they ask Jesus that question, I can imagine Jesus just thinking, you have no idea how much it matters to me and to my heavenly Father. Not that you just were potentially perishing in this situation, but overall. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. It can feel like that sometimes, can it? When you get a promise from God, and you know, again, we're the instant generation, microwave generation. We get a promise, we want you to fulfill that promise now, today, this moment. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Man, those of you that have not yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ, maybe those of you that are kind of keeping God at arm's length because you think God is angry, or God's just waiting to judge you. No, no, no. You have completely missed the heart of God on this one. Look at what the scripture says. God is not angry. He is patient towards you. God is not seeking retribution for your sins. He's merciful towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What we think sometimes, again, is, is, is God's slowness. It's his patience. I love that scripture. Just as Jesus wanted no disciple to perish in that boat from the storm, neither does God want any of us to perish because of our sins. And Jesus came because he cared that we were perishing, and he was so willing to lay down his life for you and me that we could come to know forgiveness and receive eternal life. I close with this scripture, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You know, Jesus is God our Savior. This is good. It's acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to become saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's how much he cares. He wants every one of us in here to know the truth, to receive the truth, to embrace the truth, to act upon the truth. This is the gift of Christmas. Amen? Let's stand this morning. Father, I just thank you this morning again for this miracle that Jesus did there on that Sea of Galilee. And God, again, how, how just so applicable that can be to our lives. So Father, I just pray for those this morning who maybe kind of feel like those disciples and, and the boat of their life right now, it, it just seems so out of control the waves of life just seem to kind of be battering them. 
pushing them just all over the place. And so, Father, this morning, I just ask, God, that for those individuals that are here, that again, God, first of all, you would just help them to realize that, God, they may be where they're at this morning, not because they've done anything wrong, but because, God, you're really trying to, to bring them to a, a place of just greater trust, of greater faith, of greater dependency upon you. That, God, maybe there is a promise, God, that you're wanting them to just kind of reach out and to cling on to. And so, God, I just pray for any people that are here in the storm this morning. God, I just pray, Lord, right now that you would just speak a promise, a scripture, a word to their heart. That, God, as they maybe open up and they get into the word, God, that, that you would just lead them to a place in the word, God, that would just again declare a promise for what they're going through right now. And Father, I just pray, Lord, like those disciples, that, Lord, they'll just come to you. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that again, if there's people here, God, that maybe just kind of have a misconstrued idea of who you are and God maybe they think that they're in this place in their life out of punishment God I just pray Lord again that you would just use this as an opportunity God again to reveal your goodness your patience your kindness towards them your mercy that God even though they may feel like it's beyond their control God that you can just bring them to a place of faith and trust God that it is not beyond your control that maybe what they're unable to do, God, you are able to do above and beyond all we could think or imagine. God, would you just bring us to that place of faith, especially for those who are just taken by storm right now. Father, I pray, Lord, you'll just give us confidence, confidence in your promises, confidence in your presence, confidence in your power, and that, Lord, we just look to you we thank you, God, that as you look at us, God, that you love us so much, that what we're going through matters to you, God, that you have a plan to bring us through to the other side. God, I just pray, Lord, that, that those promises, that presence, your presence, your power, God, would just comfort us. Because again, thank you, Father, for your presence here this morning. We thank you for your promises, Lord, that they're true and amen. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would just be with us, especially those that are, again, just in that place of, of storm in their life. Father, we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.